What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. to episode number 15 of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. So glad that you could join me once again this week. And I come to you as a very, very relieved individual because the 2021 NHL Draft final rankings are now up at Hockey Sense. It is the most time-consuming thing. It is the thing I pour most into. Uh, the, the amount of work that goes into it every year is a lot. But then you actually sit down to write the thing and it's a lot scary, and especially now that I'm on my own, I don't have any editors to uh, help me make sure that I didn't make uh, typos here or say the same thing too much there, so I hope it turned out all right. I've been reading it many times just to try to make sure that all of you enjoy it, but it's a very large piece of work, and I hope that you enjoy it. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to hockeysense.substack.com. You can just put your email in there, and if you want access to the draft rankings, it's $6 a month, $54 for an annual, which saves you three months uh, if you are paying monthly. And also just really excited to see that a lot of people have signed up since the rankings have come out and put it out on a Friday. So that's not always the best day to put stuff out, but I wanted to make sure that it was out there as soon as I possibly could get it out there for my readers and uh, loyal subscribers. And I thank you all for checking that out. So you're going to get a couple of breadcrumbs. Uh, in this episode, because I've got Mel Pearson, the head coach of the University of Michigan's hockey team, on the podcast this week. Four of my top six players on my rankings are either at Michigan right now or committed to go to Michigan. So that is why we had to have Mel on, because he is going to give us some great insight into those players Owen Power, Matty Beneers, Kent Johnson, Luke Cuse. He's also got incoming freshman Mackie Samuskevich and Dylan Duke as a couple of individuals that will be coming in that will be drafted this year. So, I mean, it's an exciting time for the University of Michigan's hockey team because of the upcoming draft. And we talked a bit about how their, their season ended, the unfortunate way that it ended with a positive COVID test knocking them out of the NCAA tournament after they had already arrived and had planned to play. 
And Mel talked about how the team has gotten past that. And also looking ahead to next season, will Owen Power be on the roster? Will uh, Matty Beniers be on the roster? You know, and there's a lot of questions left to be answered about where things are going to go for the University of Michigan next season. However, whether those players return or not, they have so many quality young players on their roster that there's a lot to look forward to for that team. So great insight from Mel on those players and also on the trajectory of the University of Michigan program, which is really one of college hockey's blue bloods. But, you know, it's been a a long time since they've won a national championship and they've always been in the hunt. But, you know, with this young team, maybe they feel a little bit more like they should be there. So we've got that interview with Mel. It's about 35 minutes long, and then we'll go into a Q&A because I've gotten a lot of good questions over the last few weeks. And as I've said many times before, please ask questions whenever you feel like it. I will answer them on the podcast. Now, I might not get to them on the very next podcast, but I've been holding on to questions for a few weeks here and there and just trying to make sure that I have time to answer them because, as I've said many times before, The people that listen to this podcast, very engaged, very knowledgeable, and they ask some really great questions that force me to think about things more critically and differently. So I really appreciate that. That's a lot of fun for me to do. Um, So really excited to get into some of the topics here. And it doesn't have to be about this year's draft. It could be about prospects. You'll find a couple of the questions I got are not about this year's draft. They're about other things that I've written about in the past and, and certainly things that I have covered at at length at other times as well. So got a lot of that to get to as well. Um, Again, sorry, didn't have time to get another episode out last week. We did the the double episodes two weeks ago and then didn't have time last week just because the draft rankings consumed my life for all of that week. When you're going through the production of that, you know, you've already done the ranking. You've already done the analysis. You've already done all the decision-making in terms of the list. But then you actually do have to kind of write it. And and one of these things that uh, is a little secret about me, I tend to procrastinate a little bit. I like to work under pressure. And it's a little bit tougher when you're setting your own deadlines as opposed to somebody giving you a deadline. So uh, I just want you to know that I'm doing everything I can for my readers at Hockey Sense to make it the best product possible, which reminds me, please again, subscribe to hockeysense.substack.com. Tons of draft content already, a lot more to come, including this week, we're gonna have players that just missed the list. So essentially, you know, we have the top 90 right now, but you'll basically get more than 100 players that'll be officially ranked by me. Uh, But it's, you know, just continuing working through that process. And then also talking a bit about goaltenders. We'll be talking about different trends and things that I've spotted with this draft class as well. So there's going to be a lot of shoulder content to the actual rankings and plenty of mock drafts as well. I know you guys love them. It's nightmarish for me to do them because it is very difficult to get anything of any value out of NHL teams at this time of year in terms of actual accuracy but I will do my very best to uh, to try and bring you the best possible mock drafts. And I've had some success over the years of, of getting them right. But as we know, uh, a lot of what you hear this time of year is not true. It's just the way that it goes when you get closer to the draft. So we'll do our best based on all the reporting that we've done so far. So again, please subscribe to that. It's $6 a month, $54 for an annual. And if you really, really like what you see, you can also choose a subscription. Uh, a supporting subscription and most of the funds from the supporting subscriptions are going back into the site in terms of allowing me to travel. I'm going to planning to go to the, the U S world junior camp in Ann Arbor. 
or sorry, in Plymouth. So, you know, I'm going to be trying to get to things here. And the people that have provided supporting subscriptions have done a great job of, of helping me get to, to travel to things. I went to the men's frozen four. I, you know, I had, had the opportunity to go to Texas for the world under 18 championship. So it is a, a very much a user, uh, you know, you you are the people that are supporting this directly, and I'm trying to put that money as much as I can back into the website so that you are getting the best possible content. So again, so consider a supporting subscription, but any and all subscriptions are great. And also, thank you to all the people that have signed up for the free list so far. You can also consider uh, upgrading to to get this. And as I've said before, if you only pay six bucks right now, you get all of the content from now until the draft and everything that's already been on the website. So that's all it costs to kind of get to this. And if you cancel at the end, I mean, my feelings will be a little bit hurt, but I won't let it, you know, fester too long. I just appreciate the support. And if you enjoy the type of content that I produce, it really helps me to, to keep doing it. So thanks a lot to everybody that's already signed on. All right. I've babbled on plenty long enough. I'll go through my, you know, subscribe rate review thing after the interview, but I want to send things over now to my interview with University of Michigan head coach, Mel Pearson. I'm very pleased to be joined by Mel Pearson, the head coach of the University of Michigan men's hockey team and a longtime member of the program, also coached at Michigan Tech and was a Longtime assistant at Michigan during some of the the glory years as well, and and it looks like the glory years are coming back with the number of players that have been attracted to the program. And Mel, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking hockey, um, especially with you. So excited about the uh, the direction as the program of you mentioned, and uh, we're excited for the upcoming draft, which could be a historic draft not only for Michigan but college hockey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I was just looking at my own draft rankings and four of the six players in my top six are Michigan connected players. So it only makes sense to, to get the guy that knows those players about as well as anybody could. And um, obviously, you know, before I get into the players, this season was a weird one in a lot of levels. Obviously, it, it, it came to an end if the, those that don't know that you know, your season unfortunately ended with the um, you know, having to pull out of the national tournament due to the positive tests. I, I just wonder how, how have you guys kind of recovered from that? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a heartbreaking way to end a season, especially one as exciting as this one, but you know, you know, how, how have you guys kind of moved past that a, as a group? Yeah, it was a tough end. Uh, obviously we felt we were playing as, as well as anybody. We, we liked our goaltending, uh, really liked our defense. Uh, we we're you know, third in the country at that point in team defense. Uh, liked our offense, our freshmen, it, it really uh, made huge improvements. Our upper class were playing well, so it was it was a tough end. It felt bad for the seniors, you know, two years in a row, obviously, that COVID has struck us in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but what I find is these young people are resilient. Our student athletes are extremely resilient. And sure, there's some disappointment. I think they ran the gamut on emotions when we found out, but uh, I would say it didn't take long maybe a few days to a week before they were back in the weight room, back on the ice and, and really looking forward to the, the next chapter in their careers, whether it was our seniors and where they were going to play or obviously our underclassmen and, and you know, starting to prepare for next year. So it really didn't take long and, and we've moved past it. We really haven't talked about it much. I know the players are using it 
more is a, more motivation to uh, to make sure we come back stronger and better and, and more prepared uh, right off the get go next fall. Yeah, well, we're we're certainly as anybody that follows college hockey excited to see this team once again because it was a really exciting group, a lot of skill as you mentioned, and you know one of the most intriguing freshman classes that we've seen come through college hockey for so many reasons, but not the least of which is that you had three draft eligible players on the roster and all of them looking like top 10 potential picks in the upcoming draft and of course we start with with Owen Power and you know, Owen obviously had built a nice career in the USHL in the, it, with the Chicago Steel, was a you know reigning defenseman of the year coming into your program um, and really was thrown right into a, a significant role right away. So, I mean, what was it like to kind of have a player like that with those draft expectations on him, but also, you know, a, a quality individual that, you know, had committed to you guys some time ago and really wanted to see it through at Michigan and, and is even now talking about the possibility of coming back next season. Yeah. If you, if you know Owen, which you do, Chris, a little bit, he's a, a great young man uh, in, in all regards on the ice, off the ice, uh, he's the whole package, but for us to uh, be lucky enough to have him come to Michigan and, and want to play college hockey, uh, you know, we're very fortunate. So we were excited to have him. Uh, we knew we had this special player and a special person. And it's our job at Michigan to make sure that we uh, provide not only him, but all our players an environment where they continue to grow, uh, you know, and continue to develop, especially on the ice, off the ice, uh, and in the classroom, take advantage of that. But we knew we had a special player, so, uh, but typical to all your good players, I mean, he's a sponge, so his work ethic is outstanding. I mean, we, we had to make sure we monitored his work how much work he is putting in. So he, he is ready to play the game. So he wasn't getting overworked, but because he wants to be at the ring 24 seven, wants to be on the ice, wants to be working out just, you know, at any time, he just can't sit. He can't sit. He's got to make sure he's doing something to try to make himself better hockey. But yeah, we are very fortunate to have a player like on and we just wanted to make sure that we uh, gave him as the coaching staff, everything that we could to help him uh, continue to grow and develop. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the most interesting things about Owen in terms of his, his, uh, you know, his prospects for the NHL and the NHL draft was how much better he got from the beginning of the season to the end. And then we also saw him play for Canada at the world championship and he had that opportunity um, and, and, and ran with it. I, I mean, how much of that did you watch? And also was that just the, the general continuation of what you had seen throughout the year from, from what he did with team Canada? Yeah, good point. I mean, his start of the year was he, he was a good player. He was ready to come in and play, but you know, there's a there's a growth curve there, and, and some some take it quicker than others. But uh, Owen jumped in right away and played big minutes and could handle it. Sure, you're going to make some mistakes, but I think one of the nice things we do here is is we're not uh, we're going to continue to play our young people, continue to coach them. All young players are going to make mistakes, but it, it's how you handle them. And 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 there's he's a sponge, so he continued to develop, but you could see his progression from early in the year. You know, he was ready to play at this level, but how much better he got, you know, even to Christmas time and then through our playoffs. And then obviously it finished with the world championships and he was able to step in there. I don't want to say seamless, but pretty, a pretty seamless, uh, you know, transition from going from our game to playing with mostly pros at the world championships. So um, yeah, he had an outstanding year. Uh, you know, some people might look at his numbers or this or that. It, yeah. It's easy to pick apart players and you overlook all the things that he does well. I'm a half 
a glass full type person and boy oh boy um he does so many things so well and then you, you put the you know the person the, the attitude the character the coachability how he carries himself uh, you know away from the rink and then you know that's it's to me it's a home run you know, he, he, you know i've been involved it's my 40th year coming up in college hockey at the division one level and seeing a lot of really top-notch players and people and he, you know he fits up there with you know one of the best and uh, you know, like I said, his parents have done an outstanding job with him. His coaches have done an outstanding job for him to get to the point where he is at now. Absolutely, and and you know he did mention most you know in one of his most recent public interviews with NHL Network that at this point he's leaning towards coming back to school. And it's very rare for you know we we all of us that kind of do the prospect thing we all expect Owen Power to be the number one prospect and number one pick in this draft, and that's not something that we've seen the number one pick do in over a decade of going back to the team that they had played for. But, you know, I, I think that he's kind of a little different in that way where he's got a pretty good awareness of his readiness and where he's at. And then also one thing that he mentioned was the fact that he didn't have a normal college season last year. No, no, nobody on your team did everybody. It was not, you know, Yost was not full. You couldn't have people there. You know, you, it was a, a completely different experience. So, you know, maybe what, what are some of the things that, that you see as, as potential benefits for him to coming back if he, even if he goes number one overall? Yeah. And the factors, I think, Chris, uh, there's a few factors will play into it. And I'll just touch on the one you, you, you lastly uh, talked about there is, is the fact that he didn't have a normal college year, like, like most players did not. But, uh, you know, he came to college hockey for a reason. He wanted to play in front of Yost, you know, play at Yost and Ice Arena with the children of Yost and the, yeah. uh, the crazy fans or whatnot, you know, he wanted his parents to be able to, to enjoy that also. It's not just for him. It's, it's, you know, about his family and friends as well. He's a good student. You know, he wants to make sure that he can uh, get a good start on his college education though. at some point, you know, whether it's like Jack Johnson or Mike Commissaire, guys who played two years and came back and finished their degrees. So uh, he takes that strong, but are there things that he can get better at? I think can he continue to develop at Michigan, and uh, I believe he can. Uh, can he step in and play in the NHL? I believe he can. But again, you look at Quinn Hughes, who stayed two years at Michigan. You look Zach Lorensky, who stayed two years at Michigan. You look at Mike Commissarek, uh, Jack Johnson. You look at Cal McCarr, who's played two years uh, at UMass. So you see the trend. You look at Cole Caulfield. I'll use Cole Caulfield now, one of the most <laughs> talked about players we have. Now, he's a forward, but same thing. Cole came back. Now, None of those guys were the number one pick, but it still doesn't matter. It still matters if you're ready. If you're ready to step in the National Hockey League, which is the best league in the world, and contribute and make a contribution on a nightly basis. And I think Owen, he wants to be able to step in for the National Hockey League with, with you know, the confidence and the maturity and the skill and the strength ready to go. And that's another thing is just his, his development, his physical development. We can't forget about that. You know, he's right. big, strong, but can he, can he get stronger? Can he get more hockey ready? And, and that's the thing. So and the last thing I'll talk about is, is, you know, we didn't get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. And I know a lot of our players come to do that. They have the chance to compete for a national championship. And with the building blocks we have in place, and with the tightness that he has with the other players on our team, I think that's a contributing factor. That these guys want to come back. And uh, make a run at it. 
make a run at it. And then, you know what, then go play pro hockey, then go for it, go and play as, as long as you want, have a great career, but there's nothing wrong with a young man like Owen Power coming back to the University of Michigan for another, you know, eight, eight months. And then if you want to sign after the year and go for it, go for it. Because uh, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for the National Hockey League. It's the best league in the world. It's a tough, it's a tough league, but, you know, you might as well be a, a young man for a little while and, and have some fun and go for it with your classmates. And, uh, you know, whatever Owen decides, uh, he's got my support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he decides that pro hockey is ready, for, he's ready for that. And that's what he wants to do right now. I totally support him, but if he wants to come back, back to Michigan and have a chance to compete for a national championship and continue to develop then uh, we'll make sure we, we do everything we can to help accommodate that. Yeah. I'm, I've never heard of anybody that say I stayed too long. You know, right. So right. I, right. Yeah, I've, I've heard many a guy say they wish they stayed longer, but yeah, but I think it'll be really interesting. And obviously Owen, being as mature as he is and also as just just conscientious as he is about it where he's at personally um i think is is a good thing for for both him and for whoever drafts him because he's going to know what's best for him in the oh, end absolutely absolutely yeah. and, and, yeah. He, and he's a good hockey player and uh you know it's not for me to say whether he should go or stay uh there's going to be a lot of a lot of factors and uh, even the team that drafts him i mean they'll have a lot of say in and what they feel is the best path for Owen power right uh, and I respect that, you know, like whether I agree or disagree or whatnot, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I, I respect different opinions and, uh, yeah. but we hope we get him back. I really do. I, I think he's got a chance to like, be a really special player. And, uh, and I, I want him to be able to show that in front of 5,800 people every night and impact the Osteis arena. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I know selfishly, it's always nice for when the guys don't go to the NHL, because then I get to see them a little bit longer doing what I do. So, uh, but yeah, but he's, he's, he's a special player, but we, we've got a lot to talk about because there are more and obviously um, we'll, we'll keep rolling right along with it with, you know, Matty Beneers has been a guy that has been near the top of the draft throughout the season. He's a guy that you weren't supposed to have this year. He was supposed to go to Harvard and then, you know, he had to make that very important decision and, and a decision that I think he was absolutely correct in making because we, we then saw that Harvard unfortunately had to cancel their season, uh, but it gave him an opportunity to come to Michigan. Um, he's a guy who really cares about school as well, um, but he's also an incredible hockey player and really was a difference maker on your team. So I just wonder what you thought about, you know, how easy it was to kind of bring him into the mix, knowing that he was kind of a late ad compared to some of the other guys. And then also just, you know, what he brought to the team throughout the season, because I mean, he looked to be a very big part of what you guys did this year. Yeah. Fabulous player. Uh, another, I'm going to sound redundant at times when I talk about the personality and the character of, of the young men we have, but Maddie's a, just a solid citizen, just a bubbly guy, full of energy. You, you want to be around him. You want to be around Maddie Veneers. He just, you know, he comes in, he's got a smile, he's full of energy, he's positive. He just makes your day better just being in his presence. Uh, similar to Owen and Kent and these guys. But Maddie's got a little extra juice to him. So he's, uh, he's, a, he's a great young man. It's fun to be around. And, he, and that translates to the ice. He carries that from the ice. Um, we were very fortunate. I feel bad, you know, the way the situation unfolded with a number of teams, especially the Ivy League teams this year. But... Um, you know, it was the right decision for Maddie. you know, just with his hockey career and where he's headed, you know, um, 
he wanted to play and we're very fortunate that he chose the University of Michigan. But again, uh, I think part of that alludes to the student he is. You know, he's, he's talked about pre-med and, and possibly someday being a doctor. And, uh, you know, we, we, we would support him that doing here. So he takes that, he takes his school very serious, but he takes his hockey extremely serious. And you see that he's another uh, one of our players. You know, I'd leave the rink some nights and those guys were still on the ice. Matty Veneers, Kent Johnson. Jack Becker usually was out there with them, and, and uh, obviously Owen Power, and they just keep talking and fooling around and working on their games. So, um, Maddie's an extremely uh, dedicated player. Um, can play any way you want. You know, he's got good offensive skills. I mean, he came in right away and was rock solid defensively for us. Uh, led our team in plus minus, I think plus twenty one, uh, somewhere in that category. So, right off the get go, you had a player that was committed to playing and playing both ways and playing the right way and could make a difference uh, with your hockey team. So we were very fortunate to have Maddie Veneers. And again, another player who had an outstanding year. Just think about the year as he's had. Not many players, you know, I'm, unfortunately we couldn't uh, play in the tournament for him, but he you know, wins a world, you know, world junior championship gold medal and then gets added to the you know, world championship team and brings home a bronze medal. So he's had quite quite a year for himself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, with Maddie, the interesting thing is, um, you know, he is, he's, he's a mask guy. We don't see many mask guys come to Michigan, but you know, he, 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 he ended up deciding to, to go there and, and really, you know, he's a guy that he's always said that he, he's tried to model his game after uh, Patrice Bergeron. I mean, I think it's very rare to find a player at his age that it seems to have the detail that he does defensively, um, which I'm sure is a big reason that a lot of teams have, have looked at him. I mean, what, what, you know, in your, since you've worked with so many young players over the years, I mean, you have, you were assistant coach and John Madden was there, you know, one of the Selkie winner, you know, I mean, what are the qualities that you see in Maddie Beniers on that side of the puck that, that has really been one of the standout traits that I, I hear a lot of scouts talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and obviously, Johnny Madden was a real good player here, won three Stanley Cups in the National Hockey League, never drafted, never drafted. <laughs> so it goes to show you, but uh, he had a tremendous uh, compete and defensive posture to his game, Johnny Madden did. And I see that. That's a good comparison with, with Maddie Veneers. I mean, he works just, here's the deal he works just as hard without the puck as he does with it, you know. A lot of times at this this age group, uh, you know, the guys want to play offense. You know, they 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 can't wait to get the puck in, and and when they get up, boy oh boy, do they get excited and they go. But defensively, yeah, you know, maybe I'll do what I have to, or yeah, but not with this 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 young man. No way. He's he's just committed defense just as hard defensively. He takes pride in that, Chris. That that's huge. He takes pride just as much in his defensive game as he does his offensive game. And, and that's what makes him a, a very attractive player to anyone. Um, and a, a part of that, and then the coachability, I mean, it, it's just off the charts. Like he, he, he gets it. He, he's like having another coach on the ice or in the locker room for you. He's, he's just, he's just wired that way. Um, he's had coaches have done a tremendous job, obviously, bringing him here up to the point where he got to Michigan. I think our staff did an outstanding job with him. But again, comes from a solid background. And obviously his parents get a lot of the credit for raising the people, uh, the person and the player that, that we have. And, and you can't, 
you can't, you can't look past that. And yeah, he's, you know, just like Owen. I mean, you know, people ask me, well, which one of the, the four guys would you take? And that's a hard question because they're all so different. And that is right. different position, a different player, but, but just as valuable. They're all so valuable in their own way. And, uh, I just think Matty Veneers has uh, got a bright future. And uh, like, again, he's, he's just one of those players that you, he's going to make your team better. So just, just not, before you can get on the ice, before you get on the ice, just like Owen is. I mean, they, they just have that it that they break. Yeah. And that's, it's pretty obvious too, just being talking to them, being yeah. watching them play. I mean, it, it jumps off the page and, and the video and, and when you see him on the ice. So, um, and you know, uh, as you mentioned, they're all so different and we're Kent Johnson is a very different kind of player compared to those two players. And Kent Johnson was a, a, a Canadian junior hockey league MVP. I mean, you know, this is a guy that has produced his entire life. <laughs> I mean, really he has been a, a scorer, a playmaker. Um, I, I remember when I was still at ESPN, I did a story on you guys. I was talking to Strauss man about him and he's like, you know, he comes across the blue line and he has five options. Maybe the other guys have two or three options, you know, like, or maybe they have one and he's got more. I mean, he's really an entertaining player to watch. I mean, what's it like to coach a guy that just has that abundance of skill? It's, 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 it's fun. I mean, but <laughs> at some point you can't coach him anymore. Just, you have to, especially the offense creativity. Yeah. We've had some great players here. You know, Mike Camilleri was just a you know, offensive guru and just so good, you know, start. And then we obviously have a guy like, you know, Quinn Hughes who did some things just skill wise. And, you know, I, I throw Kent in that, 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 I guess, combination of the skill and the creativeness. He does things you can't teach. And that, that's what I talk about. You know, you get to a point, you just, you just let him go. And I think, you know, he's uh, very cerebral, uh, really understands the game. He's a little more quiet, maybe off the ice, but boy, oh boy, when he gets on the ice, he, he's all in. He's all in, baby. He's playing for keeps. He's not just out there to put on a show, which he does. He's one of those guys, especially at our level, are worth the price of admission. We charge good money in college hockey. Michigan charge 35 bucks to come to a game. He's worth every, every penny of that. When you leave the rink, you want to be entertained. You want to enjoy. And with the atmosphere here at Yost and with players like Ken Johnson, the things you do, you just – you walk out of the rink, and I guarantee you people are talking about, wow, did, did you see that move or did you see that play? But there's more to that than Ken Johnson. He's actually very responsible defensively. And he made the biggest thing I really appreciate about Ken is he made a, a position move, uh, really playing mostly center to left wing on our team. And, you know, it's a big jump as it is in college hockey. Then to, to be thrown at a new position or a position he hasn't played as much is uh, a lot to ask. But he did that seamlessly and he was outstanding. And I, I think as much as Owen improved, as much as Brendan Brisson improved and a number of other guys, I think Kent Johnson was our most improved player. Uh, once he got comfortable on the wing, once he understood you know, his limitations physically because he's still physically immature, uh, but how to play the game and give and go and play the wing. Uh, he was tremendous. I've had a number of pro teams say, you know, the first half they thought he was really good, but the second half, like, wow, you know, and it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me, Chris, if, if someone drafted him number one overall. I mean, because now you're trying to project that growth of what he does. And he has those things that, that not many players have. And, and he's learned how to play a responsible game 
as well. And uh, to the point where, you know, our guys are talking about, you know, he's blocking shots, he's getting back and picking up guys. And he was a plus almost 20 player, two on our team. So really exciting, a really fun player. Just amazed at some of the stuff he does every day. I, I can't even, I don't even think about some of the stuff that he does. That's why I mean, you get to the point where we can work with him in some other areas, but can't, man, you just do your thing. And you don't want to limit that. Right. Want players to be able to use that creativity. And that's one of the things we really pride ourselves on at Michigan is, is bringing those players in for a reason, recruiting those players, and let them do what they're good at. Now, we'll work on the other part of their games, but boy, oh boy, you don't want to take a, what they do extremely well like that away from Kent is just a fabulous uh, offensive type player. Yeah, it's, it, it certainly is fun. And I would definitely say worth the price of admission. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, guys like that with such skill have this upside and, and he is a guy that as he gets stronger and just even more experienced, I think it's going to be a real yeah. game changer for him. That's why I feel like, you know, he's a, he's a, an easy top 10 pick um, in this year's draft. And, as you mentioned, you know, could go higher. And I think there could be some teams out there that view it the same way. So um, I did want to talk about, you got an incoming class as well. So you got this incredible freshman class. You know, we didn't even talk about the guys like Thomas Bordalo and, and Brendan Brisson as right. much um, because they're already drafted. So, you know, but, but we, but, but we've got more draft eligibles coming in and, and Luke Hughes is obviously the highest profile in terms of, you know, his draft stock and, and but you've got Mackie Samuskevich, and Dylan Duke among the others. And, and those guys are going to go, you know, pretty, pretty high in the draft as well, but, you know, getting another Hughes brother, getting Luke after having worked with Quinn, um, how excited are you to have a player like him? And obviously, you know, a little different than Quinn in terms of his size profile and everything else, but a lot of similar qualities as well. Yeah. Extremely excited to have uh, Luke on our team. Um, you know, we know the family, uh, we know obviously Jack and, and Quinn and, and what they bring to their teams and bring to the game. And, and Luke has a lot of those traits, but he's his own, he's his own guy too. And he has some differences. And the number one you mentioned is just his size and his uh, ability to, you know, probably play more physical and dependent with that size and reach and that, and then not giving anything up because he's a tremendous skater, uh, adds offense. You saw some of the offense he uh, provided this year for the, the program, but we expect him to come in and, and take another step here in Michigan. And, and use that offensive creativity. We'll let, we, want, we want our defensemen to go. We want them to, to do what they can to add offense here. And, and Luke is go, going to be able to do that here at Michigan uh, without giving up anything away defensively. But uh, tremendous player, uh, you know, competes so hard, uh, you know, wants to continue to get better and better. You know, he, he had a minor injury. I, I call it a minor injury. He's already ahead of schedule. And, and that's the commitment he has and the work ethic that he has. So you put it along, you put the commitment, you put the work ethic, um, you know, compete level, all those things together uh, with the talent he has. And now you're, <clears throat> excuse me, getting a, a heck of a hockey player. So yeah. we're excited to have another Hughes coming. We wish we had all three, but... <laughs> They say in the song, two out of three ain't bad. I think that's a meatloaf song. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah, that, and certainly some some quality players there. And I, I think with with Luke as well, as you mentioned, you know, he did have that end of season injury, so he has a bit of unfinished business like the rest of you guys because right. he didn't get right. to play in the under eighteen worlds this year. But are, and he's expected to be ready to go by the beginning of next season. Oh yeah, he's on the ice from what I hear. I haven't seen him, but he's on the ice and he's uh, already uh, working hard and. 
getting back in shape and getting stronger. So, uh, yeah, come when we start here, uh, you know, late August, early September, he'll be ready, ra- raring to go. Yeah, and you're right. He's got a little unfinished business. I'm just disappointed he wasn't able to play the U uh, under 18 championships, but uh, he's got a bright future. He's got a lot of exciting things to look forward to uh, as he moves forward. But uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to have him. Can't wait to get him on campus here at Michigan. Yeah, and and Mackie Samuskevich did get a, get to win a, a championship at the end of this season with the Chicago Steel. You get another another guy that that has played with with Owen Power as well. So um, you know he comes from a family. He's got two sisters that are incredible hockey players as well. Um, and this is a guy that you know very well could go in the first round this year. Great skater, seems to do a lot of things well. I mean, so it, it I'm sure it helps having a player that's got a bit of a championship pedigree coming in. I mean, he's been on the best team in the USHL over the last two seasons. Uh, so I, I assume that that helps the transition when you're coming into a, a team where you've got, and I, I didn't mention Brendan Brisson, also a fellow former Steel player. So it, I'm sure that's a that kind of helps ease the transition and to try and be part of a championship caliber team. Well, absolutely. You, you get a player like Mackie who's been there and he's done it and he knows what it takes. He knows the pressure uh, and the expectations, uh, uh, you know, especially a team like the Chicago Steel. And they have high expectations. They're, they're you know, usually one of the top teams every year. So he's dealt with that. He understands that and, and what it takes in those games to get it done. So uh, you can't, you can't, you can't go to 7-Eleven and buy that experience. So I want, I want to buy a, a package of uh, championship experience and what it takes and what it feels like to get there. You, you can't buy that, Chris. You have to go out and earn that. And it all starts in practice and things you're doing away from the rink. And then hopefully, you know, it finishes off with winning a championship on, on the ice. Obviously, they had a very good team. But Mackey was a big part of that team. Too. Highly skilled, skates well, uh, great hockey, uh, offensive IQ. Uh, again, a player who's going to continue to develop. It's got to get stronger, obviously, as he moves forward. But so many things there in that package with Mackey that you uh, are excited about and look forward to having a player like that and be able to coach him and help him develop uh, to try and get to the next level. And, and the last guy I wanted to touch on for this year's draft is, is Dylan Duke, who played at the National Team Development Program. The thing that he, he's one of my favorite players in this draft for one reason, and that's because he is an incredible he's, he's not a big guy, but he's an incredible net front presence. And it's, you know, I'm looking at his his shot charts and it just seems like so many of his chances and his goals come from maybe a couple feet away from the net. And that's a tough place to play. Every team needs guys like that. I mean, what what does a guy like Dylan Duke bring to the table with with a skill set like that? Yeah, and you touch on the things that we like about him also. I mean, pound for pound, you know, he's he's a tough hockey player. You know, I don't think Thomas Holmstrom here played for the Red Wings for a lot of time, but uh, was a tremendous player on their Stanley Cup championship teams, and and really was. I mean, he'd stand in front of that net all day long, and no problem. And and. And Dylan's a fearless player. He's a competitor. I mean, really competitive. Yeah. When you're not as big as some of the other players, you have to find a way to overcome maybe just that size and, and whatnot. And Dylan's done that because he plays so much bigger than what he's listed at or what he actually physically is. And you see that. You see it every night. We've been able to watch him, track him for a while, obviously, a kid who played here in Michigan. So I'm really excited to have him. He's got really good offensive instincts. Makes players around him better. You know, he sees the ice so well from the top of the circles in in the offensive zone. He's a really good player. So he's going to add some offense, obviously, to our team. And, uh, again, he's one of those people you just enjoy being around. You know, he's, he's a, a really good 
person, you know, comes from another, again, strong family, like, you know, most of these players do. And uh, they just have a personality that, and they want to be at the rink. They want to be at the rink. So as a coach, when you get players that have skill and have talent, and then they have a work ethic, you hit the lotto. Now it's just a matter of uh, making sure you try to find the players that uh, uh, around them that they will obviously form some chemistry with and, and you know, uh, be able to go out on the ice and uh, have a strong game every game. But we're, we're excited. We're excited for all these young people and uh, these student athletes. And Dylan Duke is another one of the line from the NDP uh, program that is an outstanding player. So he's going to be a, a really solid performer for yeah, well, it's it's been a lot of fun to follow the the Michigan hockey team these last few years. I mean, it's always it's and I mean, I go way back. I, I was I used to cheer for the UIC Flames, so I was I was terrified when you guys would come in and uh, and play the Flames because I was like, oh, this is a loss. So, uh, but but a lot of the games were unfortunately for for my beloved Flames. But um, I did want to ask you to like, it just feels like this this is you know pretty much the last thing I want to touch on is. You've been there in the glory days of, of you know, the mid '90s and these dominant teams and and great players and NH, a lot of NHL talent. Um, but it feels like there and Michigan's always been a good program. But it feels like you know the attention, the the quality of the players, the you know the the quality of the skill that you're you're bringing in. You know, it's an exciting time to follow your program. It, it, it maybe you know, I mean, you've only been back for a few years now and it it really seems like it's it's taken it to another level these last two and maybe that's just me looking from the outside maybe you guys always feel that way just being, you know the the importance of getting Michigan back to the national championship back to a, a position where they're in the frozen four uh all the time I mean what has that process kind of been like for you and how 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 optimistic are you with the group that you have and even though you've got a young team of, of being able to kind of achieve some of those things that, you know, has, has been missing from the, the Michigan trophy cabinet for a few years. Yeah. I mean, good point, Chris. And <clears throat> yeah, UIC, I remember those days too. I always enjoyed <laughs> that was a good trip going into Chicago. I think our guys referred to it as point night or something. Or point yeah, weekend, I... <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's been tremendous to be back at Michigan. Obviously we, uh, uh, you know, we had 22 straight years going to the NCAA tournament, uh, back when I was assistant coach. So uh, we had a chance to uh, compete uh, every year, to, to be in the mix. And, and that's what we want at Michigan. We want to make sure that we have a chance every year uh, to be in the conversation, to uh, get to this tournament and obviously have a chance to win it. Uh, my first year back, we were finished to pick sixth in the Big Ten Conference, uh, sixth or seventh. And obviously we went to the Frozen Four that year. So it was an exciting year. It was a good way to start uh, being back at Michigan. And and then it took a couple of years, obviously. We thought even though my third year <clears throat> that we were ready again uh, to get back to the tournament. We were playing as well as anybody the second half of the year and COVID. So the last two years have really derailed us. I think, you know, to your point, having said, you know, I, I feel we, I feel really good about the program and where we're at. And even those last two years, I, I feel we could have been in the conversation if we were just given the opportunity and allowed to play. Because you know as a coach, you know as a coach, you have what it takes and uh, like I said I've been to 11 frozen fours 12 I guess now and I understand what it takes and uh, to get there you need to be you need to have some luck but you need to have some skill you need to have head goal candy you have guys that can finish you have to have good special teams and, uh, the last two years I, th- I feel we really had that I know we had that but again because of the COVID and what happened we weren't allowed to get there so 
to your point, we haven't had a chance to show that, but I, I believe we're on the cusp. And now, you know, we've added uh, some, some more young talent and we're excited about the future of the program. And uh, that's what we're trying to build is a program, not just a one and done and, and you get there and then, you know, you, you languish for a few years, and then you get back up there. Uh, we want to make sure we're to that point where we made that tournament 22 consecutive years. We went to 11 frozen <coughs> fours in that 22 years had a chance so won a couple of national championships but Michigan gives you the opportunity uh, the resources and the school and everything to recruit good players and our staff has done our assistants have done a great job uh, recruiting some fine young men and we're excited about the future we feel we have a chance this coming year so we'll see who comes back uh, but it's not what you don't have I always say that. it's not what you don't have on your team it's what you have and we're going to lose players like Cam York uh, decided to sign and go with the Philadelphia Flyers this year after his sophomore year and got him some games. And he's going to be a real good player. Would we have loved Cam back? Yes. But uh, it's not what you don't have. It's what you – it's not what you yeah, don't have. It's what you have. And we've got some really outstanding players. And uh, regardless who who's here, come uh, August 30th, we're going to have a good team and we're going to have a chance. And it's just about building that chemistry and building a team – and playing as a team, and that's the most important thing. You can have all the talent you want, but if you're not on the same page, you're not pulling in the same direction, then uh, you're not going to get that opportunity. But I felt our teams have been, and I know uh, they're really excited about this coming year. And, uh, they can't wait to get back. Uh, they've been here really all spring working out, and they look tremendous. And they're excited. They're excited. You can, you can sense it. You, know, you don't have to talk about it or you know, don't have all the hoopla. You just sense it. You can Field, that, that quiet confidence and excitement come back to Michigan and, uh, and have a special year. And we're looking forward to it. Yeah, well, we're, we're certainly looking forward to, to watching that team when it does hit the ice. And we're certainly hoping for a normal season for once. It's been, uh, <laughs> it'd be nice to get back to a, a regular old college hockey season where we get all our games in and everybody is able to uh, get through and we're able to have fans in the building as well as, as Yost Ice Arena, certainly one of the, all-time great venues in, in hockey anywhere. So, uh, Mel, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're getting lots of calls about these guys all the time, uh, but we appreciate you uh, take, making some time for us and, and really all the best going forward and, and into next season. Well, thanks, Chris. Really appreciate me uh, you having me on, and, and good luck with uh, your new venture here. And anytime you want to talk hockey, you know where to find me. So uh, <laughs> we always say uh, if you have to go, Go blue. <laughs> and there was Mel Pearson. And of course, you got to get a go blue in there if you are the Michigan head coach. And my thanks to him for joining me this week on Talking Hockey Sense. All great information about those players. And you think not just the guys that, that were draft eligible this year, but Thomas Bordalo, Brendan Brisson, um, you know, guys that, that made a huge impact. They had Cam York, as he mentioned, as a sophomore. You know, a lot of players came in and made an immediate impact for that team or made an impact in their first or second year. And I think the Wolverines, if they can get everybody back, are going to be a force to be reckoned with next season. Very excited to see what that looks like. All right, we are going to get to our Q&A, but I did want to remind you, if you have not yet, and this is the first time you're listening to Talking Hockey Sense, please do subscribe to it on your app of choice. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also find the podcast 
on hockeysense.substack.com, uh, but of course, Apple Podcasts and all those other things. And please leave a rating, leave a review. It really helps us get up the charts. We've been moving up. This has been, uh, uh, over the last few weeks, we have really grown, and this podcast continues to, to, to reach more and more people. So I thank you all for the support that you've given me so far. And I also appreciate all the questions, which I'm going to get to in a few minutes. But before I did, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. The first thing, it's an important thing. And just as a, a content warning, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we did address on this podcast what's going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. As we know through the reporting that has come out um, in recent weeks, there are, the, the team is facing a couple of lawsuits uh, alleging that, um, you know, including from players that allege that uh, they were assaulted by a former video coach named Brad Aldrich. Um, and uh, that that is brought by a single player, that lawsuit. Um, again, the claims have not been proven in court, but there is another lawsuit that suggests that the Blackhawks gave a positive reference to Aldrich or for Aldrich that allowed him to continue to coach, and um, that was brought by a high school player who was sexually assaulted by Aldrich, who was convicted for that assault and is now a registered sex offender in the state of Michigan. And... There's not a whole lot that I can say to add to what's already been put out there, and I think that we all have to be aware of this, and you have to continue to follow the reporting. WBEZ in Chicago broke the story about the lawsuits and has been following it with many uh, great pieces of reporting. There's also Katie Strang, Scott Powers, and Mark Lazarus at The Athletic, and Rick Westhead at TSN.ca, and I do encourage you to read the reporting. It's a very difficult things to read, but important to know, and I think there's a lot that we don't know yet and a lot of facts that are going to have to come out. But the one thing I did want to say um, is that this is further proof that you have to be vigilant. And if you are running a any hockey organization and now seeing that, you know, these are these are allegations, they may be unproven in court, but the, you look at the, the, the reporting that's been done, the, the on-the-record corroborations by multiple former Blackhawks employees and players, um, it, it, it's really upsetting. And, and to know that, you know, this some of what happened later after the fact could have been prevented um, is is pretty jarring. And so I think that we as a hockey community have to stay vigilant. Um, there are a lot of programs in place, and I think that every youth hockey organization needs to have protocols in place for if something like this happens. They need to have something where victims are going to feel supported and where they're also going to be able to come forward comfortably to adults that they can trust will do the right thing. And, and it reminds us that, you know, you have to center the victims in these issues and, and make sure that they are believed, make sure that their their allegations are taken seriously and follow the, the, the facts wherever they may lead. And the Blackhawks are having an independent investigation. I know there's been a lot made about, you know, the fact that they're hiring their own investigator. Um, it is a formal federal prosecutor at a very large law firm. Um, and so my hope is that that is a, a honest and transparent um, it, it, investigation. And that is, I think, the thing that we as the public and the media and everybody else can say, I think the Blackhawks owe it to everyone, and in, especially the the individuals that, that were, you know, impacted, um, to be thorough and to be transparent and to be open about this, because uh, what's been alleged is, is, is a serious as serious as it gets. And I wanted to make sure that we talked about it here on this podcast. Sure, we're a po prospects podcast. It's not one with a, a huge reach. But I think that it, it's important that we acknowledge when these types of things come up and, and make sure that we are are thorough in, in following up on those. So, um, 
you know, continue to read the reporting that's been out there. We'll continue to follow this story. Obviously, it's very serious. Um, you know, it also has an impact with uh, Stan Bowman, who is is one of the people named in the lawsuit, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he is also due to be the general manager of Team USA at the Olympics, and that's obviously something that we cover um, pretty aggressively on on Hockey Sense and on this podcast. And so, this is something that we absolutely have to talk about. But um, I did also want to talk about some of the other news of the week. And, you know, the NHL awards came out and Adam Fox is the Norris Trophy winner. That was one of the real standout um, things for me uh, as somebody that's followed hockey for a long time. Not many second-year defensemen are going to get an opportunity to win that award. And Adam Fox came in second year out of college, out of Harvard, and he wins that award. And, um, you know, Kel McCarr finished second. Uh, and and that's, that's a real interesting uh, dynamic that that... Uh, uh, those two guys were up for the Hobie Baker at the same time. McCarr won that one. They were up for the Calder Trophy. Um, you know, Fox did not end up finishing in the top three, but um, you know he he probably should have. And here, you know, he ends up winning the Norris Trophy the first time the two of those players are up for it. And, and I think it's it's further proof that you know a player just continues to develop. And and I think Adam Fox is one of the great examples of why hockey sense matters. He's not the best skater. He's not the strongest guy, but he is one of the smartest players on the ice at any given moment. You see the way that he anticipates, the way that he moves the puck, the way that he makes plays. Those are all things that are going to continue to carry him throughout his career. And the fact that he's as good at those things now, what's he going to do with more and more experience? And you know, this is a guy that was a, a second-round draft pick, but one of the all-time leading scorers among defensemen in the national team development program. Uh, was one of the best scoring defensemen in college hockey over the three years that he was at Harvard. Um, and, you know, was on, part of a Frozen Four team there as well as a freshman. So, I mean, this is a guy that has a lot of ability, um, you know, has has won a lot of, of championships, has a World Junior Gold Medal as well. Um, and, and I think that it, it's just amazing to watch a player go that quickly and grow that much in the NHL because as good as he was in college, he's a better NHL player, and I just find that absolutely fascinating. Other awards, of course, Connor McDavid, unanimous selection as the Hart Trophy, no surprise there. Kirill Kaprizov was the uh, Calder Trophy winner, one vote shy of unanimous in that one. Jason Robertson got almost all of the second-place votes, um, so great for him. Uh, also on the all-rookie team, you had Alex Nedeljkovic, Keandre Miller, um, uh also, Josh Norris, um, Ty Ty Lewis, or sorry, Ty Smith, <laughs> Ty Smith, um, Kaprizov, and Robertson, and so you had four of the six players, American-born players. Um, you know, a lot of those guys have had a lot of success at the uh, at the junior level and at the college level, and now they move on and, and and are having success as NHL rookies. So, congratulations to all of them. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a what an incredible season this was in terms of individual awards. But I think Fox is one of those great examples of you know you you just have to continue to watch a player, and and the longer you watch a guy like Adam Fox, the more you begin to appreciate everything that he brings to the table. I also wanted to give a special shout out to the U.S. national sled hockey team. They won another gold medal at the Para Ice Hockey World Championship, a 5-1 win over Canada in the gold medal game. Brody Roybal, a fellow Illinois native, was named the MVP of the tournament and the best forward and uh, has really become one of the best players in the world. And if you have not watched sled hockey before, I've been around it or watched it and aware of it since really 2007 when I was the intern at USA Hockey and I got to work with that team at the 2007 uh, Ice Hockey uh, Sled Hockey World Championships in, in Massachusetts and 
you know, just a cr- tremendous group to be around. And, and one of the guys that was on the team at that point and still is on the team now is Steve Cash, the goaltender, who um, very well could be uh, the first sled hockey player to be a Hockey Hall of Famer. This was brought up to me by Taylor Lipset, who is uh, was on that 2007 sled hockey team and also has uh, a couple Paralympic gold medals uh, to show for his efforts in in that, but but Steve Cash is a three-time Paralympic gold medalist. He's got a Paralympic bronze. He'll be going for a, a fourth gold um, in Beijing when the 2022 Paralympics come around. Uh, he is, you know, he's played more minutes, six thousand over six thousand more minutes than any other goalie in USA Hockey history in the sled program. He's essentially been at the top. He's got an SB award. He's got a USOC uh, Man of the Year award. I mean, it, it's it's amazing the the amount of hardware that he has picked up and I mentioned those gold medals and also you know many world championship gold medals as well and has really been a huge reason why the U.S. program has continued to dominate over these last several years and and he always gives them a chance to win so I thought that was a great point brought up by Taylor Lips that there's never been a disabled hockey player put in to the Hockey Hall of Fame but if there's going to be one boy I would uh, definitely put my might behind Steve Cash, who who belongs in that discussion. But congrats again to Team USA. We hope to have a couple of, or at least one of the players from that team on this podcast in the very near future. A lot of uh, great individuals, great hockey players, and and great personalities as well. So looking forward to bringing uh, one of those players to you. I got a couple of requests out, and we'll see what comes back. Um, so we're going to move on to the Q&A portion now, and I, I appreciate you for bearing with me through part of that, but got a lot of great questions, and as always, please feel free to send questions my way. I will do my best to answer them uh, in, in as comprehensively as I can in the podcast format. You know, I'm going to try to run through these in about the next 20 minutes here and try to be as in-depth as I can, but really smart questions, giving me a lot to think about. You can hit me up at on Twitter at Chris M. Peters uh, on the comments section of Hockey Sense on Substack and also an email, and that's HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com. If you send me emails there, um, I will make sure that I get to that on the podcast. And as I might not get to every single question the week that I get it, um, if it's timely, I certainly will try. If it's not, I may hold on to it for future podcasts. But I'm going to try to make the Q&A a pretty much a, a permanent fixture because uh, you guys seem to like that, and I enjoy answering your questions because I get really good ones. The first comes from a new Hockey Sense subscriber, Peter O. New subscriber after listening to your great podcast. Thank you, Peter. I'm a Sens guy and curious why you have Kent Johnson ahead of Chaz Lucius. And this was a, going back to uh, our, our mock draft that we did, and I had uh, – Kent Johnson going to the Ottawa Senators. A rival publication I respect said KJ has a ton of flash and talent, but indicated he's more sizzle than steak. I can't remember the details, but a general sense was that the analytics didn't support him being great. Relatively low points per, point, percentage of points where goals are primary assists, from what I recall. I haven't heard anything negative about Chaz, a pure goal scorer and a center, and the Sens need both. Also, Pierre Dorian seems to go for the lunch pail character guys who are th- tough to play against, which is why everyone in the fan base believes team the team covets Mason McTavish, but it is unlikely to get him unless they trade up. All right, well, just to address the last part of that question, you're right, Peter, there's not a great chance that he's going to be available at 10. Anything can happen. I think if Mason McTavish fell to 10, the Sens would be ecstatic to get a player of his caliber. I just don't think that that is going to happen, but if it did, it'd be really interesting. Uh, the reason that I have Kent Johnson ahead of Chaz Lucius, I think I, I always enjoy asking these questions because it's it's all about list building, and you have to you have to know what you like, you have to know what you see, and and I think in in a couple of cases, Chaz Lucius might have um, 
you know, similar upside. But to me, I think Kent Johnson brings a little more to the table. I like his hockey sense a little bit better. I think that he has uh, better puck skills, even though that Chaz Lucius does have great puck skills and a great shot, as Peter mentioned. But I do think that there are other things that that Kent Johnson brings to the table. He, to me, he is more of a play driver. I think that Chaz Lucius is more of a play finisher. He can, you know, get inside presence and and has good strength. I think that's a, a big benefit to Lucius. I think there's also a bit of a risk factor with Lucius losing most of the season to injury, recovering from knee surgery, and then eventually miss the World Under-18 Championship due to illness, which was super unfortunate after working so hard to get back and averaging over a goal per game uh, when he did come back. So that was a tough break for him. Um, but I think, you know, and and Peter mentioned arrival publication, I think we all have differing opinions. And to me, you know, if you listen to Mel's interview today, the growth that Kent Johnson had from the beginning of the season to the end was dramatic. I think that he has a little bit more um, room to grow in terms of, you know, his size and his his ability to attack on strength. Um, you know, I think that Chaz is probably, you know, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, you think Chaz has a little bit of a better chance to be a long-term center, though I think that he also could move to the wing like Kent Johnson did this year um, and, and be a little bit more effective offensively. Um, I think that Lucius is a little bit ahead defensively neither are tremendous skaters um you know and i think that the the defensive benefit to lucius is really only because i think he's a little bit stronger than kent johnson at the same point um lucius is younger that's a, also an important note but i do think that kent johnson brings more to the table in terms of hockey sense and play driving capability um and those are the two things that, that i think really separate him and in terms of you know the analytic numbers and i know you mentioned you know the 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 primary point situation with with uh with Kent Johnson and Chaz Lucius, obviously Lucius's primary points boosted by the fact that he scores goals seemingly almost every time time he shoots. But I think that you know when we look at these two players, there's a lot more to um, both of them than that puck skill element. And I think that that's the difference with Kent Johnson. There's a little more there um, in terms of his anticipation, his ability to make plays, um, and you know in terms of uh, primary points, according to Instat, which is the program that I use, um, you know, primary points this season, um, Kent Johnson, nine goals, five assists. So that gives him 16 primary points versus 12 secondary assists. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, fair, uh, in terms of saying, okay, he doesn't have as many primary points, but I do think that he was such a big, you know, factor of what drove Michigan, offensively and I think you know we heard from Mel today about all the different things that he can do with the puck and, and the various options that he gives you as a guy that can enter the zone and um, I just think that he he'll have he'll end up having the puck on his stick more um, than say Chaz Lucius could in this in a similar role all right our next one comes from at Andrew Widmeyer Hey, Chris, I love what you're doing here. Thanks very much, Andrew. My question is, the Flyers are in win-now mode with their eye on getting a top-pair defenseman. If the deal were to include either pick 13 of this year or next year's first, which is more valuable? This year's is likely to be higher, but next year we'll have a much more normal scouting cycle to get all the info needed to make the, the right selection. I'm curious as to if NHL teams are devaluing this year's picks when compared to picks next year, and if that could actually help the Flyers keep pick 13 in this case. Really interesting question. I think the Flyers are going to be a fascinating team to watch around the draft because there have been a lot of rumors. Elliot Friedman, a previous guest of this podcast, we talked to him about Seth Jones. Philadelphia was one of the teams that was named in that 
uh, group of, of teams that could potentially be going after a Seth Jones, and I'm sure it will take a significant deal for Columbus to move him um, to, to make sure that they get fair value, even though there's only one year left on Seth Jones's contract. But in, in specific relation to this year's draft value versus next year's, um, there is still a lot we don't know about next year's class. And the one thing that we definitely don't know is when the Philadelphia Flyers will be picking. We know that they'll be picking 13th this year. So that automatically, the certainty, pick certainty, increases the value of this year's pick. The fact that it's in the lottery range, the fact that there will be players available there that teams will covet enough to potentially move, um, you know, move move a player, uh, you know, if, it's, if it is Columbus, let's say, you know, they, I'm sure they'll have players in that range with, that they would like. I'm sure they also would like to try to get some more immediate NHL help um, for a player of Seth Jones's caliber, and and certainly when it's so difficult to bring in free agents and and other players like that, you know, you have to find um, maybe some cost certainty in terms of, of of current contracts. But I think that you always want to go with what you know. And teams will know that the third that pick is number thirteen, and I probably, if I were an opposing GM, I would say let's get that pick. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee that next year that the the pick the Flyers have is higher, as you mentioned. Um, and so to to know that, I think it, it's important. The other thing that I want to say about next year's draft is we you know we have some clarity in terms of what the top of the draft is going to be like next year. Shane Wright is the odds-on favorite to be number one at this very early stage, even though he didn't play much hockey last season. Really, the only hockey players at the under-18 World Championship. But then there's Ivan Marashnashenko, really talented Russian. Um, you know, Brad Lambert, who we've been talking about for years from Finland. Um, you know, other guys that, that are, are really talented players. Matthew Savoy, who played in Dubuque this year with the USHL, will be going back to the WHL next season, as far as we know. So I think that you know, we, we know what the top of the draft looks like. It's really hard to determine what that next tier is going to look like. And you also have to consider the fact that there are a great number of players eligible for next year's draft that are interesting prospects but didn't have a regular season this year. If they played in the OHL, it's highly unlikely that they played anywhere this season um, as a draft minus one player. They just weren't getting out and getting opportunities. Um, so I think that you're going to be looking at, you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm an opposing team, I'm looking at that 13th pick and I'm looking at that with more value. So that was a long way for me to do that, but I wanted to cover a bunch of different angles. But Andrew, thank you for the question. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what the Flyers ultimately do and which kind of defenseman they're ultimately able to bring in, because obviously that was a trouble spot last season. At DRW Talk on Twitter asks, can you talk about some ideal targets for the Red Wings second first round pick acquired via the Mantha trade? Now this will be in the latter third of the first round where you've you know you've got the the Washington Capitals pick right now. Um, I'm just double checking here to make sure I have it. I believe it'll be 23rd overall um, that the, the the Red Wings will use. The Red Wings, of course, also have pick number six in the draft. And so, um, in terms of realistic players that could be available at 23, some of the guys I'm thinking about: Isaac Rosen, who's higher on my list than I think he's going to end up going on draft day. You know, very speedy Swede who scored a lot of goals at the World Under-18 Championship, has, has some professional experience, also looked really good um, at the Swedish U-20 level last season. Um, you know, he's he's interesting and could be available. Oscar Olofsson, another Swede there. We know how much uh, the, the Red Wings enjoy their Swedish players, and I think that those are two guys that could very well be there in that range that would make sense. You know, if you're looking for defensemen, maybe you you hope that Carson Lambos, a guy who's kind of polarizing in terms of just because he didn't play a lot this year, you know, he has great offensive potential and a lot of good tools 
in, in the toolkit there, but didn't get a chance to showcase that much this year. Maybe he's available as a, as a guy that drops. The thing that I don't think you'll be able to count on is a goaltender. Um, you know, that's why I think some of us are looking, hey, maybe Steve Eiserman will go get that potential number one goalie um, in, in one of the top two guys, Sebastian Kosa or Jesper Wallstedt, with that pick number six and, and feel pretty happy about it. But I don't think there's really any guarantee that that's going to happen. So, um, you know, in, at 23, you're looking at guys like that. I think, um, you know, you could say... Maybe there's a Zach, you take a chance on Zachary LaRue, who's a bit polarizing in terms of, you know, a guy that's got suspended a bunch this year, but is has high, high-end skill. Um, you know, I think that one thing that, that Steve Eisenman has said over the years is, you know, character does matter. And you wonder if, if a guy that, you know, got suspended that many times, if that takes him off of your radar. And uh, But it's really interesting to see. But I think they have a lot of good options there. I think the that, that really that 15 to 25 range is where I think some of most of the uncertainty comes from, um, which will be interesting to track. Um, but that's something that I think you'll have to, uh, just keep an eye on. But, but the, the Red Wings have a lot of really interesting options there and having two picks in the first round, even though this year isn't the strongest, um, I think they have a really good scouting staff, a really verbose scouting staff. And then you have Steve Eiserman who has a really strong track record with what he did at Tampa Bay. All right, this next one comes from Eric, and this is not 2021 draft related, but prospect related, and I thought it was it was interesting. It's uh, uh, about a, a prospect that I think a lot of people have been confounded by for years, and so I'll get right to it. Eric asks, I was wondering if you could do a deep dive on Josh Hosang. How was he viewed leading up to the draft? Why has his career not taken off? Are any GMs interested in picking him up as a Group 6 UFA this upcoming offseason? Oh, yes. Then I, I think there are many Islander fans who are wondering the same thing. Josh Hosang, for those that don't know, was drafted late in the first round in 2014. Um, he was widely regarded as one of the most skilled players of that draft. And I did pull up my instant analysis of the pick. 28th overall of the Islanders. Garth Snow was the general manager at the time. And leading into the draft, there was a lot of talk about character concerns, attitude concerns. Um, you know, some people wondered, is this racially motivated as a, as a multiracial person? Um, Josh, Josh Hosang, uh, you know, that, that was certainly part of the narrative. Is it, is it racially motivated? But I think that enough of some of the attitude and maturity and hockey sense kind of things bled onto the ice and you were able to see that. And so here's what I wrote in my instant analysis when I was working for CBS Sports. And it says, uh, Islanders select Josh Hosang, perhaps one of the most divisive, divisive prospects available. Hosang's on-ice abilities are exciting. He has tremendous skill, but an incomplete game and some character concerns impacted his draft stock. He has top 10 caliber puck skills, though. Isles take a risk, but the right kind of risk. And at that time and still today, I view taking a chance on skill as the right move. But I do think that as I've gotten older and have gotten more experience, I think that you have to make sure that there's there there has to be more than that. And with Josh Hosang, I don't know that there's necessarily ever been more than that elite skill. And you look at when he has been in the NHL level, he's done very well. He plays hard, you know, like in those games, he played really hard, he gave good effort, and he, he scored. He had points. You know, he's, he averaged... 0.45 points per game in the 50-some NHL games that he played with the Islanders. Um, this year, he was loaned out to Sweden, played in nine games in the Swedish Hockey League between two teams. 
um, and you know had a couple of goals, and it's really unclear what the future is going to hold for Josh Hosang. But I think that you know for all of the concerns about character and other things, some of that was motivated by the fact that he was a different person. He marched to the beat of his own drum, and I think that as he he might have been a little bit ahead of his time in that. And I think hockey is starting to soften a bit. It's not all the way there yet, but you you look at players like. Austin Matthews and um, David Pasternak and and all of these other players that that are, have a little more personality, put themselves out there more, have interests outside of hockey and are and share those interests. Um, that always used to be frowned upon, and I think that Josh Hosang has been a guy that's had a lot of 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 um, you know he's had a lot of interests outside of hockey as well and has never been afraid to showcase those things. And I, I don't really have a problem with that. In fact, I like when players have interest outside of hockey. I think you need to get away from it every now and again. Um, I also appreciate the guys that, that are just so into it that that's all they really do. But I think for Hosang, um, what'll be interesting to see is if any teams try to take a chance because the skill is so dynamic, if they say, oh, well, he's grown up some, he's 25 years old now, maybe he's a different player. And But really what it came down to is on the ice, there wasn't enough there consistently enough to, to warrant giving him a full-time NHL role. Great numbers, always had great numbers, but there are a lot of players that have long, long AHL careers where they produced a ton in the AHL and it just never clicked for them at the NHL level. They're missing that one or two traits or they're one or 2% off on something. Um, and for, for Hosang, it could be defensive responsibility. You know, I have seen him live since he's been drafted. I saw him in the AHL. Um, you know, everything he does is electric. It jumps off the page, but it, it, it often overshadows the deficiencies in the game, which I think there are enough of that have kept Josh Hosang out of the NHL and may keep him out of the NHL. So uh, I'll be very interested to see if anybody does try to pick him up as a group six, but I, I don't know that that will happen. Um, another one here from Dan Jay, a subscriber, and he asks if there is any chance that Scott Sandlin, the head coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth, goes to Seattle with Dave Haxtell. Of course, Big news last week as the Seattle Kraken announced Dave Haxtell, former Philadelphia Flyers and University of North Dakota head coach, is their first head coach of all time. A shocking uh, revelation because I think a lot of us expected them to go with experience, to go with a guy that's that more experienced even, the guys that have been around the league longer. Uh, but Haxtell is, is only uh, you know a few years removed from being in Philadelphia where he had three winning seasons made the playoffs twice there, but for whatever reason, it didn't click, and it was obvious that it didn't click, and I think on his way out of town, there was you know enough reporting that you know I don't think the players really ever bought in to what he was selling, and is that because he's a college coach coming into the NHL? What are those things? And you know, Ron Francis is not a dummy. I mean, he's made some great hires over the years. He's made some poor ones as well, um, and he's also made some poor decisions when he was with the Carolina Hurricanes, and and things like that, but I think what he's done with with Dave Haxtall is he, he's looking at a philosophy, he's looking at a at a guy that's learned. And if I'm an NHL general manager, I would much rather hire a coach on his second job than his first. I think it's a lot easier to say, okay, well, what what were the things that failed in that first job, and how do we make them better for us, and how do you make sure that that's not a failure for us? 
Um, and, and I think that that's where Ron Francis had more confidence in Dave Haxtall. But to get back to Dan's question, asking, you know, Scott Sandlin would be a very interesting hire. I'm not sure how eager Scott would be to to want to leave Minnesota Duluth for an assistant coaching job. He's been on the radar and in the mix for NHL jobs in the past. You know, he signed multiple extensions at Minnesota Duluth. He seems happy there. He's got a great thing going there. Um, probably has a job for life if he wants it. Um, but you know, he's a North Dakota guy, even though he he you know he coaches Minnesota Duluth, but he graduated from the University of North Dakota. Dave Haxtall, of course, North Dakota guy. Um, you know, two guys that have built cultures in their programs, uh, cultures that are around winning. Um, you know, there's there's a hard nosed nature to both men. They're also uh, world class scowls behind the bench um, at the college level, and the stare downs that they've given referees and players, and uh, certainly wouldn't want to be on the receiving end. I think I've been on a, the receiving end of a couple uh, stare downs from Scott in uh, in press conferences, but but never uh, never to the degree that uh, that those two guys can kind of stare daggers through you. But um, I think that Dan, you know, it's a really interesting question because. Scott Sandlin, I think, is going to continue to be coveted by NHL teams, and, and maybe the best move for him is to go into an assistant job if he has NHL head coach aspirations. And I wonder if Dave Haxtell would have preferred to go in as an assistant as a, as opposed to going in as a head coach. Um, you know, Coming straight from college just didn't happen very often. He did it. David Quinn did it as well a few years later. Um, and you know, David Quinn now has, has is out of a job as well. So I, I think that it's always easier to find those guys. Um, wouldn't be surprised to maybe see David Quinn uh, as an assistant and, and maybe a couple of guys with head coaching experience with Hackstall. But um, I'll be very interested to see. I have no indication that that's something that's going to happen. I don't know if that's something that Scott would want to do, but I think it's a really interesting question to ponder uh, because Scott Sandlin is and will continue to be a highly regarded and sought-after coach. Uh, by NHL teams uh, as he continues to progress in his college career where he has three national championships with the University of Minnesota Duluth. All right, our last question comes from subscriber Martin who uh, sent me an email and it's it's a couple different parts. I'm going to break it up a little bit here. Um, and his primary question boils down to this thing. Um, his hypothesis is that you can have excellent talent evaluators, but if you don't have a good development process, you're crippling yourself. What happened with Casey Middlestat to a lesser extent Rasmus Dahlin? Did Buffalo pick wrong or did they destroy their prospects? Was Dylan Strom a reach at number three or would he have been a star if the Blackhawks or some other non-Arizona, non-Buffalo team drafted them earlier? And why does Nashville have such a good tracker, track record with defensemen? They know how to pick them or do they know how to develop them or both? I guess what the thing I'm getting at, is there a way to evaluate how well a team develops talent? Well, it's a great question, Martin. I think this is a thing that NHL teams are constantly struggling with as well. But but the thing that I come back to is that you can't develop if you haven't evaluated properly at the front because it, when you all part of the evaluation process when you're drafting, it, you're asking questions like, "Is this player coachable? Is he going to get better? How does he handle adversity? Um, will he understand?" The, the instruction that we're giving him. I mean, that's why that in scout meetings, they will pull out a laptop and they'll have a player watch his own shifts and tell him what he did right, what he did wrong, what he saw in a certain play. They want to get a feel for what the player knows and how well they're going to be able to accept that. So, so yes, the answer is you need to develop. And if you aren't developing, you are crippling yourself, but it's, it's much harder 
to do. But I think teams have doubled down or sometimes tripled down in their investment on development lately because they're not just waiting till they get to the AHL team. They hadn't been before, but I think they have many more player development directors that are working with their players on an individual basis multiple times per season, sometimes talking to them weekly. And there's a lot of feedback, a lot of give and take. And also we're seeing more and more players working individually with skill coaches, performance coaches, trying to get the edge. You know, I think there's there's been some talk that players are spending tens of thousands of dollars in the offseason just to get prepared for the upcoming season with with trainers and coaches and all this. It's, it's a big business. Um, so those are all factors in there. But I think it's really difficult to evaluate teams in terms of how they develop. But you, the proof is kind of in the pudding. I think you look at a team like Tampa, and as you mentioned, Nashville, tremendous defensemen over the years. Continual, you know, several guys that have made multiple All-Star teams, and they 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 still have a great decor right now, even though they've had to trade guys away. Remarkable. The Tampa Bay Lightning may be one of the gold standards in terms of development because how how often have they drafted guys super late in the draft, put them in their AHL development system, and suddenly they pop out a, an NHL player that's going to help them contribute to a Stanley Cup? It's pretty remarkable. Um, but you know, going to some of the examples that you provided, Martin. Casey Middlestad is a really interesting case study in in a prospect. I mean, very high-rated prospect coming out of college. He spent one year at the University of Minnesota. I think ultimately that he came out too early. Um, I don't think that he got a lot better while he was at Minnesota either. Um, So he was kind of starting kind of behind the eight ball. But, you know, we saw him at the World Juniors that year, the year before he turned pro, and he was dominant, and he was such a good player. And I think he can be again. And 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 they're still trying to work with him and work through that. But I think with, with Middlestat, I think there was a lot of things in terms of confidence, readiness, maturity, um, physical maturity. There were a lot of things that he wasn't quite ready for. And I think that the Sabres have rushed players. And and the problem is is that there's no continuity. They've had so many different GMs and, and other players, uh, other people involved, that the player, the, the GM that drafts the player is not often the GM that's going to develop the player, um, or or be in charge while that player is being developed. So you're looking at different philosophies and different statuses of the players. And so, middle stat Dalin, it's it's a, a different thing. I, by the way, I think Rasmus Dalin ultimately will be fine. It's gonna, you know, he, he did take a step back this year compared to his first two seasons, but I think that he's ultimately going to get there. You know, in terms of Dylan Strom, he was another guy where. You know, I think that some of the things that held him back, it was more just physical skating. You know, I think that that was something that everybody knew in the evaluation process. He's not a great skater, and it held him back for a few years until he was able to figure out the NHL pace. He has tremendous hockey sense, tremendous vision, playmaking skills. But again, it's it's a, it, that I think that one was less on development, more on um, uh, you know the pre the pre evaluation and not you know um, kind of understanding that. So. I think there are a lot of teams out there, you know, the, the Los Angeles Kings are have put so much money into development because they put so much money into the draft and to getting these players and they have one of the best prospect systems. New York Rangers, same thing. I think they've really doubled down and tripled down in their investment in developing players and getting them into the right situations, having a good AHL team when they get there. Um, you know, so those are just a few examples. And I think that team, you know, when teams are in win now mode, it's less about development. It's less about the prospects and all those different things. And so you just, but, but yeah, it has to start from a base of a good evaluation before the player is in your organization. Then you have to identify the things that you need to do with that player, continue to do them 
and put them in a in a position to succeed. So those are those are the things that I have. And, and Martin did have another question that I wanted to address as well. And this is why do prospect writers re-rate drafted players so soon after the draft? If you had Byfield at two and you know he won't actualize for a couple of years, and you switch your choice to Stutzla six months later, it makes me wonder if your thought process through the, was thorough at draft time. Maybe readers like that type of story, but I will keep my powder dry for at least three years before a redraft is re- relevant. Well. I can tell you, Martin, that NHL scouts feel the same way as you do because anytime I have done a redraft in the past, boy, do they not like it. And I get to hear about that. And that's okay because we have great, respectful conversations about it. But the one thing I will say is that redrafts are are hugely readable in terms of for, from a lot of people because they want to see if their team screwed up. And really, a year out redraft, I was always assigned that. It wouldn't wasn't my preference to do that. Um, I won't be doing one for the the draft that we had in October, <laughs> so I'm not. So fear not, I won't be redrafting that one. There's still a lot of intel that we we can gain, but but there is something that I think is important about that process. And when we do go through redrafts, we're taking more information. And the thing is, is that we are always going to have more information as the player plays more. It's just a fact you're going to learn more things about the players and then a player you know and for for example Quentin Byfield was number two on my board pre-draft I still think he's the second best prospect in that draft um I still like his upside Tim Stutzla is still number three for me he was number three then and you know I think that that's those guys even though he showed in the NHL that he was ready for that but I think there's so much more we need to learn and we're also seeing it even with Cole Caulfield who you know there's been so much criticism of the teams that passed on him and and you know I might have had him in my top 10 I had him 6th and you know I think that that was a fair spot for him to go he didn't go until 15 and we can't discount that there's a lot of runway for the guys that got drafted ahead of him to still prove that they were that their teams made the right choice Am I certain that they will feel that way at the end? No, but I still think that um, there's still a lot to be learned about that that draft class, and they're only you know those guys are are only 20, 21 years old at this point, so we'll pump the brakes on on those guys. But yeah, it's really interesting to see. So, uh, but again, going back to that, you, when you get more information, you cert- you learn certain things. So like you know if. If I were to do a redraft, uh, you know, I'd look at, you know, how has a player progressed? What are the things that I've seen since that, that he, you know, since they did? I mean, Jack Hughes and Capo Caco have not had amazing NHL careers to today in their first two years, but they've gotten better over the last season. Um, and I still think that they're on track to where I thought they could be going into that draft and that I'm not ready to give up on where I thought that they were, they were going to be. Um, but you know, I can see that there are certainly people that might feel differently about, let's say Alex Turcott, who went fifth overall. Um, and, but he, at the end of last season really started to find his game and, you know, he's a guy that's starting to rediscover where he needs to be to, to be a successful pro. So those are the types of things that we continue to look at and continue to try to, to learn more about. And so that's why when we do do redrafts, it's not criticizing, the scouts decision at the time, because at the time, based on the information that they had, they felt they made the best, best decision. There are some of us out there that might disagree at the time, but as we've seen with guys like Moritz Sider over time, getting picked sixth overall, does does not look like a bad pick by, by the, the Detroit Red Wings. And I would have never have said that anyway, because I didn't know enough about Moritz Sider at that point. I knew enough 
about him to think that I, that he was a top 15 prospect in that draft class. I didn't have the confidence to put him sixth overall, but he has continued to show that the the Detroit Red Wings made a pretty savvy decision, and and we but we still don't know until he does it at the NHL level what's going to happen. So um, those redrafts, I know they're really frustrating for scouts. It usually does make them look bad, but I think that those of us that do it. Me in particular, I first of all, I know how unfair it is to, to use the benefit of hindsight, but also I think that it's really important to know that we're not saying that the decision was wrong at the time, but maybe it became wronger over time, and we're trying to pinpoint what could have happened. And so um, it's an unfair process, but it is fun, and a lot of people read them. Uh, said, said Usually the, the redrafts were among the most read pieces I would do at ESPN, and um, if I'm being really honest, why do prospect writers re-rate drafted players so soon after the draft? It's because people read it. That's the fact. So little inside uh, inside journalism there. But Martin, thank you for the question. Thanks to all the people that ask questions. I, I, I'm constantly blown away by the depth that, uh, of questions that you guys send to me um, and always just really well thought out. And it makes me uh, really excited to answer them because I know that I'm I have an engaged and and, and smart audience and and that you guys are going to continue to uh, to get that. So if you stuck with us this long into the Talking Hockey Sense podcast, we're almost an hour and a half into the thing. Well, thank you very much. And you know what I do at the end of long long uh, um, long podcasts. <laughs> I don't know why that took so long to get out. You know, I I like to. Get a little, you know, find out who actually made it to the end. And so if you're on Twitter and you you, you want to send me a tweet at Chris M. Peters, the code word for this week's episode is drafty. That's D-R-A-F-T-Y, drafty. It's getting a little drafty in here because the NHL draft is rapidly approaching July 23rd, July 24th. It'll be on ESPN2, as we just learned, ESPN2. We'll have the draft, and they'll have uh, three guests of this podcast on coverage. John Butchergrass is hosting. Elliot Friedman's going to be on the panel. El- Emily Kaplan is going to be part of it. Uh, it's going to be an ESPN Sportsnet joint operation. Um, so, yeah, so that's pretty cool, and we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, it's been a long episode. It's been a long week, but I thank you for sticking with me. Again, code word drafty, and if you would please, Leave a rating, leave a review on this podcast, share it, uh, like it, subscribe it, do whatever you got to do, follow it, and and just let everybody know about it if you like it. I'm so appreciative of all the people that have chimed in with questions, with uh, you know subscribing and letting me know that you found uh, Hockey Sense with Chris Peters through Talking Hockey Sense, and I'm and that's why I'm doing this. And also, if you want to support this podcast, subscribe to Talking Hockey Sense. Uh, or hockey sense with Chris Peters again. This is what happens when you when you brand too many things hockey sense. Not great hockey sense on my part, if I may say so. But if you could, please send us a subscri- or send me a subscription. Uh, sign up. You'll get our draft rankings that are out now that we talked about. Um, we'll have a lot more of this on Talking Hockey Sense. Hope to have another episode next week with another guest, and we'll talk so much more. We gotta actually talk Stanley Cup Final at some point. Don't want to leave that little event hanging. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much to everybody that continues to listen to this podcast. If you're new, welcome. Hope you'll come back. And yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters, and we will catch you next time. 